This week's podcast is a Ryder Cup special. We have years of experience between our double act today, plenty of wins, and importantly, two Ryder Cup wins. The Miracle at Medina in 2012 with Dave Kenny, with Paul Laurie, and Dominic Bott caddying for Thorbjorn Olison at Paris. Also listen to me, we'll crack straight on. It's a Ryder Cup special. Talk to me, Joey. Just get up a yard. Great job. Okay. Yeah. All right. Okay, second week, and we're with Dave and Dom, and we're going to talk about the Ryder Cup. Just why wouldn't we? It's the best. It's the best sporting event I think I've ever been to from outside the ropes. So it's interesting to me, and hopefully to everyone listening, what it's like from inside the ropes. We've got Dave. Hello, Dave. Hello. Hello. How are you? Very good. Very good. And we've got Dom. Good afternoon. I hope everyone's well, keeping safe. Indeed. Indeed. And we've got some Ryder Cup experiences from both Le Golf National, uh, Paris with Dom. And we've got David, who was, who's, got, who's had kind of two different roles, uh, caddying for Laurie in 2012 at Medina, or another classic. And then in 2016, kind of, what would you, what, we were talking just off air, uh, David, what would you call the role that you did in 2016? I would class it as, general dog's body really sort of buggy driver general gopher anything that he didn't done just helping out other caddies and players giving guys lifts surfing the locker room back versa just really there to help out whenever we could um so yeah that was technically a sort of back staff role how does that role come about then how did it come around that you kind of ended up doing that it was because um, I was still caddying for Paul at the time and he was one of Darren Clark's vice captains. So he asked me to go along sort of as his buggy driver um, because he's not keen on doing that sort of stuff. So <laughs> I was there. <laughs> he doesn't trust himself. Um, so I was there sort of basically sort of being his chauffeur, driving him round. But I spent more time actually helping out other caddies and players. Um I would go out first thing in the, the first three days. I would go out in the morning and check where some of the tea paste placements were, um, and radio back to the clubhouse because there was there was one or two holes where they could move the tea, and it changed a par three from maybe say a five iron to a rescue, and the guys wanted to know which clubs to put in the bag. So when the the referee guy was out for the USGA or the PGA Tour, when he was out doing tea placements in the morning, I would follow the guy at 6.30 and watch where the teas were and then relate back to the locker room so the guys would know um, how the holes were playing that day so they could basically get their club selection arranged for the day. Ah, and uh, this is interesting. So it's like that was an away Ryder Cup, right? And is there much kind of, you know, what's the word you'd say? Not not sportsmanship, but is there anything that goes on where they won't give you the, or they'll hold stuff from you, or the Americans obviously know more? How does it work on that sense? Technically, they're supposed to give the same information to both teams. Um, but I think we both know that there might be a little bit of favouritism towards the home team. Um, yeah. Just, I remember talking from the guys that caddied in uh, 2008 at the Ryder Cup in the States. There was one whole that they pitched up on the first day, I think, and the tee was like 70 yards forward and nobody knew and they hadn't <laughs> practised on that tee, but the American players knew or the American team knew, so there's a little bit of favouritism, I think, on the home side, but I think everyone would say that's pretty much to be expected. That's not a big surprise and I don't think anyone minds too much about that. No, and I'm sure it's... And I'm sure, Dom, it, the other way round... Uh... Does that go on the other way around, or are the Europeans completely, uh, or is it like you give as much as you get? How does it work there? Uh, uh, Captain Beyond was, I think, was pretty pretty good with the Americans actually in certain most aspects. Um, I, I mean, it was down; they were going to give all the Americans invites to the French Open, so it was only because Justin Thomas came, 
he was the, their highest point scorer, but they didn't come over and didn't put in. But they came to a golf course with a lot of rough, which it's Europe. That's what we do. We play different golf courses like that. Uh, but I would say it was pretty. It was pretty good. We had we had Billy Foster and Ken Conboy that would do the same for us as Davey did for the lads in '16. They went out and checked the pins and stuff like that. The boy still did it just to make sure everything was right. So we knew exactly yeah. where where the pins were and stuff like that. And, tees. and how will they kind of relay that information? Will Billy uh, come down to all the boys in the team room or the caddies in the team room go, this is the crack on the fifth? Or what, how does it work there? Well, it was more, it was more really for the singles. Um, Billy and Ken went out and did nine holes apiece, paced where they needed to pace. And then and they both came back with notes before the first singles match went out. And we, we saw what we needed to know. It, it's not every hole at Paris that you need to know, but there's certain holes that you have to, you've got to be smarter. And um, Billy and Ken made sure that we all knew. They made diagrams, they took Yardley's books out and told us exactly where things were. Now the Americans could have done that as well because they had Fluff there, um, Johnny Wood. So each to their own. If they did it, if, I don't know if they did it. I presume they did. Um, everybody gets the same same chance to do to do the, the job for the other boys yeah yeah and uh, yeah, I guess it's um, with these events I guess it's and you would have more of an insight both of you it's, it really is those those little kind of one percent those little edges that you're picking up um, is there kind of examples of that maybe that is the example of just those little edges that you're picking up and I don't know if you've got any kind of interesting stuff on that just those tiny little things that maybe the, the us punters don't really realize what's going on that maybe makes that small di- bit of difference contributes to half a point i don't know dave whether you've got any experience of stuff like that um that particular week not really um i do remember on the singles on the sunday at medina um thomas bjorn was vice captain that week and the second hole was a par three and he was asking every player and caddy what club they hit off the hole. Um, so he could relay that down the line to Rosemaria because the only, the only person that can tell the players advice is the captain. So ah. if need be, Thomas could relay that to Rosemaria Alatabal, who was captain that year. And then if he wanted to, he could relay it down to somebody else and say, Paul Laurie hit seven iron here or Luke Donald hit six side or whatever it was um, so they were always asking us on the course information what we hit off that tee where did it finish is that green quite firm you know they were just vice captains were always wanting to get as much information as they could so they could relate to the guys playing behind just in case there was one little one little thing that may have made difference um, that was I was quite aware of that more so on Sunday because you had 12 games obviously as opposed to four at a time so that was something that for me stood out a little bit on the course on Sunday compared to the rest of the week. And and would you say similarly anything in Paris, Dom? Um, I remember walking down the steps and getting to the first tee and Bjorn was there and he said to me, "Everyone's in it, everybody's hitting it in the back trap at the second. So I hit the harder shot rather than the softer shot. And fair enough for us, we walked up on that tee, I paced the number off and it was a perfect five iron. So that was the one that stood out for me. I was like, the whole, the whole, my first Ryder Cup singles. I've not, I've not worked for three matches, and the opening line beyond says, "Good luck, but make sure you hit the right club on the second. And it was perfect. <laughs> we did, we, we, did, we, did, we, did, we did fifteen feet, and the little man walked it in for two, and that was us one up. Yeah, and 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 that is almost that little edge, I guess. As a caddy, you're kind of in your head, you're walking down one, and you've you obviously I'm, got to get the right club into I'm one, but you're thinking about that second shot already. I was thinking about number two, walking yeah. down number one, but it wow. uh, it fell fell on a perfect number for us, so we were pretty lucky. And I think you mentioned it's the best golf shot you've ever seen. As not in, best, it's not the best, not the best golf shot I've ever seen. My favourite golf shot after ah. Jordan Spieth hit it to eighteen feet, and we were up next. And the little man hit a fantastic shot. Um, into 15 feet it was my favourite shot after that comment from beyond it's my favourite golf shot because I didn't yeah. want to be worried. I didn't want to be in that back bunker trust me I've had I've had plenty of grief from beyond over the years that back bunker <laughs> wouldn't, have been, wouldn't have been good for me so I was pretty lucky there 
yeah so you're walking up one and you're just thinking come on to your just just it put yeah just nail this one shot for me because i'll look good if we can uh hit this inside jordan and then the rest is history after that right well we met birdie so that was um that was good for me that was good on uh that looked good on my cv after the captain told me that so i was happy that was sweet. I, it's another interesting thing, and it's kind of interesting how you talk about it. You, you hear the nerves for the players, um, obviously, and everyone talks about not being a peg it up or whatever. But for you guys as well, right? You're gonna. It sounds like you were thinking about the second hole on the first hole, and you just you're just thinking, right? I've got to nail this. I've got to get everything right. And I guess the people don't really under, understand the nerves, maybe from your side. Did you, is that something you felt, Don? I remember walking on the first tee on Friday morning, uh, walking down with Harry Diamond, um, playing against Ricky and Dustin, and we're playing with McElroy. And uh, we get to the back of the tee and everyone shook hands. Apart from Dustin, didn't shake my hand. <laughs> um, Ricky gave me a hug. Rory's gave me a hug. Tobion says, are you nervous? I said, no. I said, I'm excited because this is where you belong. I was excited for the week. The whole week, I was just, I was just full of excitement. It just, it's what I've wanted for, and Davey knows this, it's what I've wanted for my 28-year career. If my career finished now, I can say, well, I was, I've been to Paris. I've, been, I've done a radical. That's all I've wanted all my life. And uh, luckily enough, I was there. Um, probably on was, obviously, we didn't play as many matches as we want, but if I never do another one, at least I've won my singles match. Yeah. Unbelievable. And, and, and is, is it something conscious in your head? Like, I know, you, I guess when you're stepping into a situation like that, which is uncharted territory almost, is it, are you quite conscious about kind of trying to even not look nervous or acting normal just so that you get that across to your player, especially a younger lad who's a first time playing? Are you trying to kind of, I don't know, do you know what I mean there? Yeah, I mean, I mean, obviously I was a rookie. He was a rookie. Um, but there was a lot of experience behind us. Um, I spoke a lot to McDowell. Um, chatted with Westwood a lot. Um, spoke to Billy a hell of a lot about it, about the week and what was coming up. Um, you're nervous, but you, obviously you've got to be, you're there for your man. Uh, I just enjoyed the whole week, the whole experience from getting on the Eurostar to leaving on the Monday morning afterwards. Uh, I just enjoyed the whole Everything about it is, it's the best week, best week of my career, without a doubt. Yeah. Yeah. And, and would you say similarly, obviously in Medina, um, especially that Sunday, uh, Dave, where I, I, I would imagine it was almost, well, I don't know, were there nerves there? Was it less nerves because you were behind? What was the kind of situation there? Um, it was a little bit strange. Um, just echo what Dom says there, you know, that, the Ryder Cup it is an amazing week and you do get excited. But I was the same as Dom. I was more excited than nervous. And it's amazing how you can be as nervous as you like in the first tee, but as soon as the gun goes and that first tee shot goes, you get back into autopilot and you just you, you do the same job, whether it's the Volvo Masters, the Ryder Cup, the, the US Masters, the Spanish Open, whatever it is, you still do the same job. And once, once the gun goes and the first tee shot is hit, you go into autopilot and you end up really, you know, you don't really see that much that goes on. You know, on the Sunday, even though we knew we were doing okay and it was a massive, massive day for everyone, you don't really pay that much attention to what's going on around you. You're still trying to do your job for your man. You're still in the zone. You're still focused. So that doesn't really change regardless of where it is and when it is. Um, I found that for me. And that, that I spoke to Ken Conboy that week. And he was giving me one or two bits of advice. And he said, look, you know, this week, it won't be until Sunday that you do your regular job. He says, Friday and Saturday and foursomes are four balls. The players will do a bit more between them. They'll talk more. So you won't really get involved as much as you would do normally. It's not until Sunday that you do your regular job. And that proved to be 100% correct. Um, we, found, we played against Baba Watson the first day when he... When he had the crowd cheering, when he hit his first tee shot. Yeah. And I'm standing on the tee, we're going to play this guy, and he's got the crowd cheering, and I'm thinking, what's going on here? It was good. I enjoyed it. Didn't make me nervous. I just thought it was quite funny. Um, it was quite surreal at the time to be there. 
So the first two days was a, not the experience we'd expect from a carrier point of view, but when you get to Sunday, as Dom says, you know, he's, he's thinking about the second hole going down the first. That would be the same if it was a regular tournament and you had a one-shot lead teeing off. You would still be thinking about that second tee shot. Um, the Sunday at Medina was just one of those days that everything went the way you hoped it would. Um, yeah, what struck me, uh, what strikes me is the difference between watching a Ryder Cup on television and you, you mentioned, especially on the Sunday for a caddy, it's no different really once you once you're playing you're just going you're almost back in you're into your regular day job mindset right but yeah. I, I don't know how conscious you are of what's going on around you especially at kind of a medina um whereas on television that was my my what, uh, paris was my first rider cup and i just was very conscious of i didn't really know what was going on everywhere you just kind of see your own group almost um, yeah. I guess that's the same for a caddy is that something you kind of realised when you um, were there about halfway around when we got to the turn we were I think we were game number 5 on Sunday 4 or 5 and we got to the turn and I think Paul was 2 or 3 up at the turn and we looked at the scoreboard and it was all blue and that was the point we thought oh there's a chance here uh, and you could feel it a little bit in the crowd. It wasn't quite as boisterous as what it had been the previous two days. Um, and a, a friend of mine came to watch that week. My friend Alan, he came for the week. And afterwards, he said to me, you know, on Sunday in the galleries, he noticed a big difference in the crowd. But he also felt one of the reasons for that was that on Sunday, they didn't sell alcohol until 11 o'clock in the morning. Whereas they'd been selling it the previous two days from 7 o'clock in the morning. And he felt, he felt that had a difference on how loud and how noisy the crowd were, as well as the fact that the Europeans got off to a great start. How much, yeah, how much did you notice, just because the energy of a Ryder Cup is just so different to a regular event, right? How much did you notice? And I guess it, it's interesting to have both of you, your opinion on this, from a home and an away Ryder Cup. How much uh, do you think the crowd has an influence on the players? Um, I guess we'll go to you first, Dom, of, of you know, the Europeans, they were loud and parrot, but how much did that influence the player, just G them up? Or I guess it's different with different players, but how much did you kind of notice that? Well, it, 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 the crowd was phenomenal. I mean, they backed us all, they backed us all the way, but it's, it's different for different players because on Sunday, I mean, Tobion's not one for trying to get the crowd fired up. He's there to do his job do his business, get the point. And then we were walking down the second and um, Westy walked with us. I asked Billy to ask Westy to walk a few holes with us because I knew Westy had relaxed Tobion. Tobion doesn't know that, that I asked the question. We walked to the top of the steps on the first. Westy was there. He walked down the first, the second. I think he walked before his first five or six holes he walked with us. And we're walking down the second after Tobion hit that shot. We're walking down the second and he pulled and he said to Tobion, listen, they're not here for me. They're here for you. You know, get them on your side. And he got them a little bit fired up. He started throwing their hands up as if to cheer and stuff like that, which is not his nature. His nature is, I know why I'm here. I'm here to get my point. I've got to beat Jordan Spieth, otherwise I've had a shit Ryder Cup. Yeah. But, you know what I mean? So, Westy helped, helped massively because there were, there were sort of Westy, Westy, and then Westy's like, no, no, pointing at Tor, this is why you're here. Um, I think I remember crowd, seeing that actually. Yeah, the crowd, the crowd were amazing. Um, but you could sense as well, as Davey said, they sensed it in Medina that they were getting on top. But you could sense it as in France. Billy drove past. Billy drove to me on the fourteenth, and we were we were coming down at Billy, and I was up for Billy. Westy jumped off the buggy. Billy come round to me and he said, ah, "I'm getting that feeling. It's going the other way." And I said, Billy, no, 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 it's not going the other way. Trust me, it's not going the other way. And then we won on that hole, um, which was massive. Uh, but you do get, you, you do sense the feeling that all of, all of a sudden it's um, Brooks's, Rory got beat. Casey's half a point was massive against Cochrane. Yeah. Um, and it, once that, once Casey got that half point, then all of a sudden Paltz is, it felt like Paltz was playing with Dustin Johnson. 
that he didn't yeah. want to hold the put on the 17th because he wanted to hold it on the 18th to beat him. So he's got in front of the whole crowd. It was strange. But I mean, yeah, you, you sensed it a little bit for about an hour. You sensed that mm, maybe this the worm's turning here. But, did you uh, notice, uh, uh, this, and almost for the other team, did you notice the Americans getting a, if the fan, reacting to any of the fans? That I, 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 was in, I was there and I didn't hear much particular fans. Fans were pretty uh, fair, I thought. They would give the player a bit of shit after the shot maybe, but nothing personal. We, did you notice anything where the Americans kind of, not shriveled, but reacted to fans in Europe? And I guess after Dave, the other way around. Um, did you notice anything like that? Or Well, not really, because obviously the, the match I was involved in was Dustin and Ricky, and the crowds love Dustin and Ricky anyway. Um, yeah. So never really that. Jordan was a gentleman, um, so nothing really. We had one point on the 10th fairway. There were four Americans stood up on the top of the hill. Jordan said shot on the green. Where about it? hit our shot on this Big, loud Americans shouting abuse, abuse, abuse. And all Tobion says to me is, no, no, no. Keep it shut. I know what you're going to say, but keep it shut. <laughs> and we lost We lost that hole. And we have the next hole and what have you. But these four, these four Americans, he had to step off twice because he, he said, Dom, you're going to say something about Shut up. Do not get involved. Which that was the closest I came to sort of saying something to an American fan. Four big fat Americans shouting abusing my boss. I was like, right, I'm ready. Yeah, and what about the other way around, uh, Dave? Over in in America, well, how did you kind of find players reacting to fans positively, positively and negatively? Um, we were expecting things to be a lot worse because it was in Chicago, which is a huge sporting city, and. I had been at Brookline in 99 as a spectator, which is obviously was one of the most boisterous Ryder Cups ever been, and had witnessed a few unsavoury moments there. So we were expecting it to be a lot worse, but it wasn't actually that bad. Um, to be honest, it was, it was actually, the stuff wasn't really that serious. It was quite funny, actually. Um, I remember the first day, walking down the first hole, and Paul never wears a hat unless he has to. You know, he'll wear a sponsor's hat for obvious reasons, but Given the choice, he wouldn't wear a hat. So, yeah. first goal, first day, he's, he's not got a hat on. And we walk down the first fairway, and this guy shouts out to me, Paul, Hey, Paul, your hair's so great, it's unrepairable. <laughs> so he says, Where's that effing hat? Give me that hat. So, he's put the hat back on. But that was about as bad as it got, really. It wasn't really that bad. Um, compare that to 2016 in Hazeltine, when we get there. And it seemed like the whole affair was three times as big. There was, yeah. there was like 60,000 people a day in there, I think, um, compared to what seemed like less than half that at Medina. So the whole, they'd ramped it up spectator-wise massively from 2012 to four years later. Um, but again, in 2016, I wouldn't say it was that bad. The players, they're all experienced. They're used to, they know what to expect. Um, 2012, there was only one rookie in the team. And that was Nicholas Colsarts, who you wouldn't really say he was a rookie because he'd played in the States and stuff and played in big tournaments. Yeah. So uh, all the players knew how to handle it. All the caddies knew how to handle it. It was, you, you expect it and we're told what to expect. And it, was, it wasn't too bad, actually. And we, 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 uh, we put a, the story out of your, we, we mentioned Dom's kind of the favourite shot and we talked about your favourite shot, uh, which was the chipping, right? Um, yeah. Uh, if you could kind of just talk about that, it's a famous shot, uh, really, in Ryder Cup history. But it was kind of at such an opportune moment, right, in the kind of in a match play setting in a Ryder Cup Sunday, right? Yeah, the, the, the timing was for us was perfect because, as I've mentioned before, that Paul hadn't started too well. We'd made three sort of scrappy pars in the first three holes to make to half all three holes, and then on the fourth, we we're a little bit in between clubs to a front pin. And it was right on the limit for a six iron. So we decided to try and just cut a little five iron in. And he's pulled it. So it's gone long. Not a great position to be in. And he's played the most perfect chip that's gone in the hole. And he's gone nuts. The crowd's gone nuts. His wife, she's standing five yards away. She went ballistic. Um, <laughs> and again, the, the, the emotion for him wasn't something that we'd normally do. And I've, I've started laughing. Um, I'm laughing at him and I'm laughing at his wife at the reaction because I hadn't seen that before 
from him or her. Uh, and we get to the next tee, and you could just, he had that look in his eye. He just said, well, well, well. And he nailed a drive down the next half, six iron to about 10 feet, knocked it in. And for us, it just changed the whole mood of the day. He went from playing scrappy golf to all of a sudden, it was, he felt on top of the world. And I just knew when he would hold that chip shot and got to the next tee, I just knew he wasn't getting beat that day. Don't matter who he was playing, if he was playing Tiger Woods, he was still beating him. Uh, yeah. And I think he ended up, he was, he won five and three. He was, he was six under off his own ball that day. Five um, and three, is it all? Just the five and three, yeah. <laughs> just the five and three. But it was, it's, it, 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 I think that day for him, he was on a mission because he'd, he'd lost the first match. Um, we played with Peter Hansen against Webb Simpson and Bubba Watson, and they were like 11 under after 14 holes and just destroyed us. Yeah. And then the next the next day we played against Matt Kusher and Dustin Johnson and they beat us one up uh, playing with Colesarch. So it was just desperate to get a point. And as soon as they knocked that chip in, you just knew he wasn't going to get beat. Yeah, and that, that, that's it. Got me thinking about when when the when the player gets kind of maybe amped up, especially someone someone like Paul who's out of character and it's and I guess tour as well. When they're kind of amped up a bit, does that change? You're clubbing a little bit. Um, if yeah. there's a bit of adrenaline between shots, yeah, it does. Um, well, the, on, on the very next hole, we were in between five and six, we had something like 220 yards or something. Um, a little bit of help. Now, normally that would be in between four and five iron for Paul. That day, it was in between five and six because you just you, you get a feeling, you know, when your player's pumped up and he'd hit his drive so far down there. Um, you just know that they've got that extra five or ten yards in there so we ended up hitting a six iron expected to be maybe say 15, 20 feet short of the hole and they got it pin high so you're, you're gauging that a little bit and I'd caddy for Paul for a decent amount of time before that point so I knew certain occasions where he did have that little bit extra in the bag so you, you allow for that accordingly yeah is that something you noticed? It's been, I guess on the Sunday, just a little bit of adrenaline, um, Dom? Yeah, yeah, I mean, yeah, you could, you could sense it. I always sensed it with Tor when he was when he had a chance to win golf tournaments as well. Um, yeah, he hit it further. Always, always, always noticed it. Italian Open, we had three woods uh, off the seventeenth tee to leave us sixty-five yards, and we had twenty-seven the hole. Yeah. So, so that was. I knew from that from my experiences in Turkey and other tournaments that, yeah, the little man could stand up and hit it as, as far as most when needed. Yeah. yeah. And and I guess that's just adding. It's it's a positive thing, I guess, but it's also adding in complications for you guys as caddies. Going right, he's a bit pumped up here. That I'm going to add it on X. X yards or X percentages, which which maybe brings something else into play. Would you say? Well, yeah, definitely. I mean, it's all part of our experience. I mean, we've learned, we've seen it, we've done it. Um, we've seen the top boys play golf. Davey's been out with a lot of the top guys when we've been, been in America. I have the same. Um, yeah, yeah, it's something you learn from your player. Not every player has it. Like David just explained there, Paul had it in Medina. Torbjorn definitely had it in France. But I, I noticed in Tor's victories that when it got in the back, especially the back nine, on the way in, the back nine, a chance to win. Torbjorn hit it further. 100%. Yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. I've got, I, uh, from from what a little bit you mentioned earlier, earlier, Dom, about just that whole experience of the Ryder Cup and just from getting the Euro star there and things like that, I mean... How, like that's I'm kind of interested in what the kind of behind the scenes are and I guess for both of you it's kind of all new experiences and first time it's all a little bit different what was kind of what kind of particularly stood out for you kind of off the course or that about that whole experience uh Dom from the getting the Eurostar and things like that well we flew in we flew in uh Sunday night from Portugal uh we stayed in a hotel in London and the there was no players on the Eurostar because they were coming from America, they were coming from all over the place. So mm -hmm. it, it was just sort of European tour people, few caddies, a couple of wives, get there. There's 
12 BMWs waiting for us outside Garden Hall. Um, off we go. Get to the hotel. We stay in the Trinon Palace, which is, Davey will tell you, one of the best hotels probably in the world, I would think. I would think so, yeah. Um, and then um, I remember walking in. Captain was there waiting for us. Checked in. Room keys. I said, uh, do I need to go to the golf course? He said, Dom, how many times have you been around here? Go and chill out, and I'll see you at the team meeting at 6.30. That was my opening day. I was like, right, right, okay. So, <laughs> Captain Bjorn told me that. I was got up to the room, unpacked my clothes, lined them up for each day that we were supposed to do. Then we got a, we got a change of clothes for one day. I can't remember which day it was. We had to, we had to move the jumpers to different shorts or something anyway. Um, team meeting that night, Monday night. Everybody was in, players, caddies, wives of, of caddies and, and the players and all the backroom staff. We're all in there. How many people um, is that? Like 50 or something? Or how many? Yeah. yeah, there's probably about 50 of us, yeah, I would say. Yeah. And um, the guy who, mim- who takes off all the players on Twitter, can't remember his name. Bjorn. Oh, Bjorn. Connor, yeah. Bjorn Connor, is got, it the Irish lad? Yeah, Bjorn had got him to take off every player. So that was the opening video. And yeah, it, relaxed so- the whole, it relaxed the whole team. It was just a piss take. Right, lads, this is down there. So there was the Toby on Frankie Molinari, Poulter, Westy, everyone, uh, not Westy, sorry, all the boys were there, Garcia and what have you. And he just took the piss out of everybody. And Bjorn went, right, lads, let's have a great week. Do, do, do you think that's um, something that's super important and something that maybe the Europeans potentially get a little bit better? Is that is that moment where maybe everyone's coming in in their own individual Places and I guess I don't know how you felt. Maybe you're sat in your hotel room by yourself, like Jesus Christ, I'm at I'm at the fucking Ryder Cup here, and and you can you start getting in your own head, and then you go down to that team room maybe, and it's the hot and Bjorn's done a fantastic job. By the first thing you're getting is taking the piss, having a laugh, and try, kind of relaxing everyone. Well, I took my wife with me, but so that was different. But I mean, ah, right, he, he relaxed he, with that with that team room. He relaxed everybody straight away. He relaxed everyone straight away. And then he did one for us on Thursday night, I think it was, the caddies on Thursday night. And he did, and Elazabal did a speech in on video or something, which almost, well, it brings everyone to tears anyway, Jose. And we yeah. sat in there, and I was late. So I was, Tobion was late to the opening ceremony. And then I was late to the meeting that night. So we get in there, we sit down, we all sit down. And he says to me, uh, it's good to see you've made it. (laughs) Your boss was late to the opening ceremony and we've had to wait for you for this meeting to start. He said, don't forget, he said, don't forget, Billy's here. He could replace you. (laughs) My reply, my reply began with F. So, and then Elazabal did his thing and he just said to us, right, lads, tomorrow morning, early early start, he said, but go. And he built us a pub in the Trianon Palace. Built us a proper pub. Um, <laughs> the Americans got a little room. We got a pub built with a table, tennis, pool table, buffet and all that. He built it fantastic. We had a barman that looked after us, unbelievable. And um, he just said, right, lads, go down, have a beer, glass of wine, whatever it is. Enjoy your night. We'll see you tomorrow morning. Let's win the Ryder Cup. Yeah, and well, it's amazing. And and is it is it something that uh, I guess Dave, having gone to multiple Ryder Cups, it's almost a tried and tested formula with the Europeans is is to kind of get everyone together. And were there similarities between kind of that kind of thing? Does that sound like it all kind of ring true rings true to what you've seen in the Ryder Cups Europe? There was a big difference between two thousand and twelve and. 2016, 2012, it was very much carries and players. Um, the first night we had a big team meeting, all backroom staff, all carries, all players. That was the Monday evening, I think. And you were late as well. I was, I was late the following night. The first night was, <laughs> let me say, 60 or 70 people all in the one room for a, a quick half hour chat. That's all it was. And then we had a caddies room and a players room. And the Tuesday night was caddies team meeting with 
Jose, seven o'clock, and I've gone back to the room after a long day in the golf course. It was like six hour practice round. We've been up there since half past six in the morning. We get back at six o'clock at night, and I've come out of the shower and I've fallen asleep, and I wake up at five past seven, and the meeting's seven o'clock. So I ran downstairs, and Jose's mid speech. He's halfway through his speech to the rest of the caddies, and I'm just mortified. I walk in, everyone's shouting, wanker, oh, oh, just, I felt so bad. And I says, Cody, I'm really sorry. I fell asleep, I'm really sorry. It says, David, it's okay for you. I start again. So now I feel even smaller. At least beyond <laughs> wet for me. Well, Cody didn't even wait for me, he started. So it goes back into his speech. And then he started talking about Seve and stuff and what that meant to him. And then he started, because he burst into tears. So now, now we're all in tears. And, like, and I felt real, I felt so bad. So he finished his chat. Then he says, right, I'm going to speak to the players. I'll see you tomorrow. And I said, Jose, I'm really sorry. He says, David, forget it. It's fine. It's fine. But the rest of the boys said, it was so good that I was late because just before I walked in, he was almost finished. And then when he started again, he added in the stuff about Seve which sparked even more emotion. So that brought something else to the team talk. But that was the only time that he spoke to us individually. Um, the rest of the time, we were just left to our own devices. Whereas in Hazel's team, probably the same as Paris uh, with Dom, everyone, players, caddies, backroom staff, every every team talk, everybody was involved. Um, so that was a big difference between the one in 2012 to subsequent Ryder Cups, I think. That was a big difference. And I guess just different captains have different ways of doing things. And it w what would be the kind of reasoning? To, I, I guess on tour, you, you guys are used to being kind of separate from the players, as in with the players' lounge. I guess there's a bit of um, intermingling. But I, I guess what would be the kind of reasoning behind getting everyone in together? Is it to just to build that kind of team spirit and that, that everyone's in going the same way kind of thing? Yeah, I think it depends on the captain. I mean, Jose Maria is a very private person, a very emotional person, and he was so he was he was so intense that week. He was so caught up in the week that um, he was more concerned about the players. He didn't have to worry about the caddies. I think it just left us to do our own thing. Uh, I noticed that that 2012 was a more social week than what it was four years later. Um, 2016, everyone's in bed by 9.30, 9 o'clock, whereas 2012, it was a bit more relaxed in the evening, a few guys would stay up for a couple of drinks and a bit more chat and stuff, so that was one difference. Um, <coughs> Darren Clark was captain in 2016, and he, he wanted to make sure that everyone involved, players, coaches, physios, psychologists, caddies, everyone was involved in every team talk, and that's just the way he wanted it. Um, and Bjorn was obviously very similar in 2018 in Paris. Uh, I don't think it's a no surprise. Thomas and Darren are pretty similar personalities. I think Dom would agree. Um, yeah. So, so they they both saw it that way. Uh, whereas Jose Maria saw things slightly differently. But who's to say what's right and what's wrong? Well, I'll say one thing. I'll say is we we were invited into the first team meeting where everybody was there, and then we only had one meeting after that. But he kept, right? he kept, but he kept in touch with us. He, he, okay. He'd come down, he'd come down to the the room, the pub he'd made. He came down a couple of times. Right, lads, is everybody okay? Is everything okay? Jamie Spence did a lot of coming down, and we had some uh, world ta world champion table tennis players. What that's got to do with golf, I've no idea. But they came <laughs> down, and a, few, a few, few lads hit a few balls back, and but it was. Thomas just kept keep it relaxed. He'd walk in, right, lads, everybody okay? Plenty of stuff here for you. Yeah, okay, right, I'll see you tomorrow. And yeah. Just walk away. And you were like, for somebody, as Davey will know, for somebody who I've spent a lot of time with, who is, can be so intense. Yeah. He was very, very, I think it was his, his backroom staff that made him as relaxed as he was. Westy was unbelievable. GMAC was great. Robert Carlson knew every stat about every golfer in the in the field. Um, Paddy was unbelievable. And it's... Paddy, I hope he gets... When he gets his chance to win the Ryder Cup, I hope Paddy does, because he was fantastic. He was brilliant with Torbjorn over those days when we didn't play. He was the one that Torbjorn looked at 
Jovian looked at and said to me, Paddy's unbelievable. Paddy's unbelievable. Yeah. Paddy's unbelievable. And, um, but for somebody as intense as Thomas, which he is exactly the same as Darren, he did keep, he did keep things very, very relaxed, which helped us all. And and I, that I, interests me. I have a million questions, but so kind of, how do you? What I've got a few questions actually. I'll start with this. Like, what's the preparation before for a caddy? What's the difference? Different things you're doing on a Ryder Cup week as a caddy, um, maybe during the practice rounds. What's what's your kind of day look like once you get on the golf course um, before the. Uh, matches start what what it what is it that you're actually uh going out and doing what are the kind of key things for you um in paris i guess well we never walk the golf course because we've all been there that many times we were told yeah um you were teeing off the 10th and it took six hours to play <laughs> signing autographs he's loved that right so it was casey <laughs> it was casey john ram torbjorn i've got a feeling it was Polter as well and Paul's been Paul's just lightens the whole place up. So they stand on the first tee. This might have to be edited. They stand on the first tee, and the lads, <laughs> the, the lads obviously get a few quid or what have you. Casey says, right, boys, we're playing for X, Y, Z, front nine, back nine, overall. John Ram says, I haven't got any money. <laughs> Paul says, so that money we were given last night, where is it? He said, they're giving it to the wife. Or the wife-to-be, as she was then. I know she might have been, it might have been engaged then. They were engaged. Yeah. And you could see them, you could see the rock from the moon. Um, <laughs> and Casey, Paul says, are you stupid? That money is for us. You don't give them all of it, John. Oh, well, I've got nothing. Well, Torbjorn's thinking it's great because he's just had a lump in his pocket that no one's getting. Casey's obviously <laughs> give Casey's obviously give Pollyanna a little bit. Paltz is like, this is mine. So they played for a few quid anyway. And it, it was good. It was it was good fun. It was good fun, but six hours out there, and the boys are told to sign autographs and do what they've got to do. Yeah. But, and then yeah. and then we, I think then we played nine holes the next day. And that was that, that was your day. Just from your side then, so you're, the preparations I've done in French Opens past, basically. So when you're getting there, what what kind of, what are you doing? Um, just well, going I, around. I, I, took, I, I took yardage books from French Open. So I knew where the pins yeah. would be. Um, we knew everything. We, we, we know that golf course so well. I mean, I've been going there since 1993. Um, so I took a few old yardage books with me. Just checked that I, I knew where things were. Captain had, had us telling us what where the pins were going to be. It was pretty easy preparation. We knew that you had to hit it straight. Yeah. And they, and they put Bubba Watson and Phil Mickelson out in the foursomes. <laughs> I've never yeah. seen... So we are... Friday night, I've never seen as many smiles. No, Friday lunchtime, I've never seen as many smiles as when Jim Furyk put that foursomes team out. Yeah, and then, Fra and then Frankie went. Don't worry, lads. We have to be calm. And Sergio and Paul are giving it ten 0 I mean, I've never seen anybody. I mean, I, like Davey's been to two Ryder Cups. I mean, I've never seen anyone like Ian Poulter and Sergio Garcia in a team room. A Poulter is, he is a postman. He is unbelievable. What what kind of makes them special in a team room? Is it just the exuding confidence, or what is it? Just the way you walk in. They both walk. I mean, Pulse walks in and it's like, right, lads, we ain't losing this. We're having it. We're going to beat these and we're going to show them because they, they put a t. They put. They had a t-shirt. Uh, USA will beat America or something. It said on it. So they gave it to all yeah, their boys, all their caddies. They yeah. all had it. Everybody got one. And then Pulse got his hands on one after we beat them. And apparently, Jordan Spieth didn't take it very well. But once <laughs> Pulse seen that. Paul seen that he was like right, and Garcia walked in and they, they just walk it. They just I don't know. Davy's been at two. I've only been at one. But I mean, you see such difference in people. It's just an yeah. aura kind of thing. It, 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 I mean, that's what the, the lads were saying. I I, caught, I I went back to the 18th fairway, 
to see Polch play 18. Billy said to me, I went to the, Billy was in the buggy, I, I ran back to the buggy, got in the buggy, sent on the 18th fairway, and Billy said to me, he missed that put on purpose. <laughs> he said he's just got, he's just doing it for the, for the effect here, for the crowd. He was like, and he, he hit it past Dustin Johnson down the last. Yeah, I, th- I, I seemed to, I was stood by 17 and I'd just seen him going mental, basically, just playing the crowds. And you've you seen how many people are around there. He was just going mental and you're just like, everyone's just like, he's going to win. It doesn't, you know, it's obvious. And people from outside can see that. So I'm sure when you're in well, the I, team room, it's, it's very, I stood, I stood very on 18. I stood on 18 and then I went across to 15 to watch Frankie. That's where I stayed. And that when Frankie won, I mean, Tommy was Tommy, uh, Tommy was like a football hooligan. Yeah. I mean, it was it was absolutely amazing. I mean, I've never seen anything like it in my life. But uh, it, I mean, the the whole experience is just, as Davey will agree with me, it is unbelievable. It's an unbelievable yeah. experience to be part of that team, to be part of that that core of players and then to walk away with that radical. Yeah. Especially when we, we had the worst, we they had the best ranked players in the team in Paris. We were, Torbjorn was 44 in the world and he was the worst ranked player in the world by 15 spots. Yeah. And then, so, and then somebody put in the press about him being, uh, he looks nervous, he looks nervous. He didn't look nervous at all in his press conference. He was fine. But, it's the biggest it is for me it's one of the biggest sporting occasions on the planet yeah you mentioned uh, you mentioned a little story on the first tee about uh, Grella with speed just meant just having a little word in your ear about about tour well it was the first green we get to the first green Grella shakes my hand speed shakes my hand don't know how you're doing yeah fine yeah I'm alright yeah. no, I've, I've met Grella before Hopper who carries for Garcia had a run in with him I think uh, when Davy was backroom staff at 16 Radical, yeah, that's right. Yeah, so we walk on the first green, they both are on the green, whatever 25 feet, whatever it is. And he says, Uh, I hear your man's a little bit of a battler, isn't he? Yeah, he's got some, I say, yeah, he's got some game, he's got some balls in him, yeah. All <laughs> oh, right, so does mine. I never said another word to him until the 14th when I shook his hand and said, Thanks very much. <laughs> That would uh, uh, that that was for me, but when I, yeah. when I but when I was on that first green, I remember what Sergio's caddy said to me when the story went out. I remember that, and I thought he's trying it on here with this kid. I mean, he's he's caddied for about eight years. Yeah, yeah, a little bit of biting it was there with you, or just a bit of no, just a bit of right. I'll show yeah, you. Yeah, who do you think you are? Yeah. Oh, see, yeah, see, it's incredible to hear the kind of yeah stuff that goes on, stuff that goes on like that. I guess, I guess, uh, differently uh, for you, Dave, uh, going out in 2012, you probably had a little bit of work to do to kind of pre- prepare for it, right? It wasn't yeah. a course you would know so well. Well, I mean, that year they set up the course the exact opposite of what it was in Paris. Um, 2012, there was no rough, none whatsoever. Um, I think the European team might have only had two long hitters, uh, McElroy and Colsarts, mm-hmm. whereas the Americans had at least half a dozen. So the course was suited to them. It was an old-fashioned classic course, pretty straightforward. It wasn't, we played, I think we played 18 holes on the Tuesday, then nine holes Wednesday, nine holes Thursday. So we played it basically twice, and that was plenty to get to know the course. There wasn't really that much required. Um, so the preparation... Was pretty straightforward. Um, in fact, I think we played eighteen holes with Garcia, Donald, and Westwood on Tuesday, and then Wednesday and Thursday played <coughs> on our own. There wasn't even any any matches between potential. Um, Did you say on your own? Played nine holes on Wednesday on our own and nine holes on Thursday on our own. Cosie wow. just said, "Boys, just do what you want." So there wasn't wow. there wasn't any. Ma- we didn't even know. We didn't find out until we, we were given 40 minutes notice in the first day. Uh, right, you're teeing off in 40 minutes, you're playing with Peter Hansen. And we thought we were playing with Colsarts. So ours was a little bit less structured than maybe 
what Dom's experience was. Um, because we've been told all week we're going to play with Colesarch, and then at the last minute it was changed to play with Peter Hansen. I assume uh, that's in four ball, was it? That was a four ball Thursday afternoon, yeah. And then Friday, sorry, sorry, Friday afternoon, and then Saturday afternoon we played four ball again with Colesarch this time. Um, again, that was sort of a little bit last minute. We weren't sure in the morning what was happening. So we we played in the afternoon, both days, Friday and Saturday. So in the morning, we played two or three holes in the course. Once the last group had teed off, we went out and played a couple of holes in the course just to keep ourselves ticking over. Yeah. We played seven holes on Saturday afternoon and a certain person arrived going down the first in a buggy. Um, to tell his Danish compatriot that he wasn't going to play you can imagine the stare that he got back wasn't a nice one <laughs> how, how do you nice kind one. of how do you um, how do you kind of keep your player um, kind of cool or chilled out when I guess it's difficult these guys are super elite athletes that are confident and believe they should be playing every match How how do you talk to them when They've been rested, um, Dave. How, how many matches did Paul play in, uh, he in played, America? He played three. He played both afternoons, Friday and Saturday. Um, okay. Friday, Friday, we just played against two guys who were just unstoppable. I mean, they were 1,100 after 14 holes, so that was yeah. you couldn't do anything against that. The second game on Saturday afternoon, Dustin Johnson hold about a 35 footer and 17 to go one up. So they lost the game one down, and that was a real kick in the balls. That was a real sickener. Um, and Paul I remember was, watching that pop. Yeah, and Paul was livid that night. He was absolutely raging. They should have won the match. They both of them missed chances coming down the last few holes. Ended up losing the game. So by the time we get to Sunday morning, he's just he's like a caged animal. He's just desperate to get out there, win a point. Um, but on Saturday night, when Poulter did the amazing finish that it had to the... He was playing with McElroy on Saturday and I think Poulter has birdied the last four holes to win the match. Last five. The last, last five. five. The last five. Um, which was... We were the game in front and we watched him play the last and to watch him do it was just outrageous. In the locker room on Saturday night, the atmosphere amongst their team was so good. You know, thought we were 10-6 ahead and not 10-6 yeah. behind. You know, Poulter's finish, it just completely lifted the team. It gave us a chance... And I say, if, if you were standing in the locker room Saturday night, you'd have thought Europe were 10-6 ahead, not 10-6 behind. And then so when the draw came out, every player looked at the draw and thought, I can win that game. You know, every single player on the team fancied themselves to win their game. Uh, so even though they were 10-6 behind Sunday morning, there was a huge amount of anticipation that they could still pull this off. So, so they're, they're almost... It, it, the, the job that you didn't re really need to say much as a caddy to Paul. He played his two matches. He kind of would have expected maybe to be rested for a couple of matches or maybe one. But he knew. And then... Yeah, he knew he wasn't going to play in more than one game each day. You know, he was, I think Paul was at the time, was 42, maybe 43. Yeah. So he was probably the oldest guy in the team at the time. Um, he wasn't expecting to play five matches. He knew he'd played three at the most. Um there was only one rookie in that team. That all the all the players were experienced. They didn't need to be told what to do, how to behave. Paul's not one for. You don't have to really do that much to him psychologically. So, you know, there wasn't much. Maybe maybe as much as Dom had to do with Thorbjorn. You know, a younger player, first Ryder Cup, probably had to do a little bit more psychologically with Thorbjorn than what I had to do with Paul. Yeah, um, that's what I was going to ask. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so there wasn't. There wasn't much I had to do other than really just my normal job that week, which is just talk to him when I needed to talk to and keep him calm if he was getting upset. But generally, for me, it wasn't that much different. Um, it was all about the occasion and just basically trying to win your match as much as you could. Yeah. Was there stuff that you had to do then, Don, with, with Tor or where he thought he should be maybe be playing? You had to, was there anything like that? Well... It wasn't so much he thought he should be playing. We knew that we were going to play with Rory first morning. Rory came up to me on Tuesday or Wednesday afternoon to begin a game Friday. Put his arm around me. I said, that's perfect. And I would, um, 
it was just it was tough for Tom because Tom had three birdies, four birdies, and it must be the only day since he's started playing golf that Rory McIlroy didn't make one birdie. <laughs> Yeah. Which was, annoying, uh, isn't it? <laughs> which I was like, okay. And I did tell him Sunday night. We got a picture together Sunday night and I told him. But no, I mean, the the, the whole, the, just the experience and the, um, Rory McElroy for me is the best golfer on the planet. Um, it was amazing to be out there with him. It was, uh, it was tough that we got beat. We got beat early. Um, and then we never played again. And then obviously we get Toby on and Stenson went out and played a few holes on Saturday afternoon. And then Tom, Thomas comes down and he couldn't get away from us quick enough. Because he knows, I mean, he, know, he knows me and Tor inside out, you know. I mean, I've worked for him four times and obviously I'm working for his mate. Uh, it's just, it's, it is, you've got to win that singles. If you're in there, I got text messages on the, put it this way, I got text messages on the Saturday night saying, not for one. You're not the only one to be not for one. I'm like, got to win the singles. Yeah. Got to win the singles. I mean, the lads are having a piss take. Not for one, not for two, not, I'm like, well, we won't be not for two. I knew, GMAC came up to me on Saturday afternoon and he said, uh, Dom Sergio and Alex Noren need um, a bit of support are you going out I said I'm out I'm out watching yeah got sound. so I went out and he said to me what about Torbjorn I said just, just leave him he said what do you mean just leave him I said right. I said we were going to tell him that he needs to go and support and I said the words that will come back to you is I'll be out there soon so GMAT went in Sergio and Norrin need support the word that came back was I'll be out there soon and he came yeah. out and he followed and he watched and won Thing another, and he's a, he's big friends with Alex Norris. He that, that's his mate. So for him to not go at the time, but he just had to get it right in his head what he was going to do. He had his family there, his mum, his dad, his brothers, and uh, then he came out and he, he followed. And he watched him on Sunday afternoon. As soon as we won, he went straight to Norris to watch him, and he was the first yeah, person on the green when he rolled it from sixty feet or whatever it was. Yeah, I guess that's the beauty of the Ryder Cup is even if you play the one match, you've always got that Sunday to focus on almost, right? That The Sunday where your point is so huge and can be so influential in the result of the game, especially as nearly all Ryder Cups are so tight, right? Yeah, well, GMAC came up to me and said, Dom, this is, um, you're playing number seven. He said, uh, seven can win the Ryder Cup. He said, so just think that just when the little man Gives you a little bit. Just say, listen, we could be in that position to hold that winning put. McDowell, it was McDowell said to me, he, he was, he thought it was a great idea. <clears throat> Sorry, he thought it was a great idea to put Toby on about six or seven to uh, to give him a chance to win the whole, to win the Ryder Cup. Mm-hmm. Um, and he didn't win the Ryder Cup, but he he put a little mark on it. Yeah, yeah. Against uh, against a, a, a name as well, and uh, yeah, it, it's um, yeah, it's, and kind of the the after. The, the, I mean, we've 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 done an album now. We'll finish off, but this is kind of what a lot of people are, are interested in. It is, <laughs> is almost the celebrations. <laughs> so I I, I would tell cele- I don't celebrate. <laughs> <laughs> so we'll, we'll, we'll go through it in order so we'll go 2012 um, we'll go through 2012 2016 2018 that's right isn't it so 2012 yeah. what come on David let's hear it 2012 was chaos um, <laughs> after, <laughs> because everyone's so high after, the, after it's finished we're all drinking champagne on the course, even players drinking champagne. Uh, they haven't eaten for eight hours, so within about 20 minutes, everyone's drunk. Um, Paul, Paul's not a big drinker. He didn't take much. He couldn't get his champagne to spray out, so he just drank it. But the interview, interview was great time, as well. By the time they get to the press conference, all the players are steaming. Um, I've gone and packed the bag during the press conference, done the closing ceremony. I've, Brought the bag back to 
he cuts the car to take for Paul to get back, and he's he's gone. He's completely gone. I said to Mary, "What's happened to him?" She goes, "Oh, he's had a bottle of champagne. He hasn't eaten anything." So this is like an hour and a half after play is finished. We then get back to the hotel, quick cover and change. Um, downstairs at nine o'clock, and the team room half empty. There's me, Terry Monday, who carries her daughter, uh, John McLaren, who was carrying for Luke Donald at the time, and Ozzy Bryan, who carries for Colsarts. Nobody else. Nine o'clock, not a soul. By ten thirty, <laughs> Westwood's up on the table. Sergio's up on the table. Jimenez has got a cigar. Show bomb. It's just chaos until I think I eventually stopped about four in the morning. <laughs> but up, up, I've gone upstairs to get, I thought I need to go and pack because we're, leave, we're leaving at six to go to the airport. So I've gone upstairs, came back down about four thirty, five o'clock um, and everyone's just dying. We're all just completely out of the game. Um, it was, it was, I think it was just the, the release of the tension. Yeah. Um, normally, normally the losing team comes into sorry the winning team goes into the losing team's team room uh, for a drink and a chat and whatever else and the Americans had requested that we didn't go in that night because they were obviously so gutted at what happened that day um, although two Davis Love came into our team room he was captain and um, Fluff came in and Grant Snedeker's carry who Paul beat that day they came into our team room I don't think anybody else came over. They came over for a drink and a bit of crack. They were good. Um, contrasting that to Hazel Town, two thousand and six. That's what I was going to say. Like we've seen the pictures, but <laughs> Hazel Town was pretty subdued. Are you eating crisps, Tom? <laughs> just opened the bucket. Yeah, sorry. Fucking hell! But, sorry, I'm just I'm a bit peckish. That's all. A bit peckish. Jeez, sorry, lads. I thought it was me. No, I'm okay. listening to you, but I'm I'm taking something. I've just yeah. been packing. Right. I'll just repeat Go the last it. five minutes then, shall I? No, I heard um, the last five minutes. Don't worry. Yeah, don't worry. Nobody else did. Um, <laughs> what was I saying? Yeah, Hazel yeah, team. Hazel team. Hazel team now. That was quite a affair. Uh, very civilised. Both teams in together. Backroom staff. Everyone chatting away. You know, Tiger was there. There wasn't. It wasn't as chaotic or as. I think because the Americans won it so convincingly, um, you know, with Europe, were, I think they lost the first four games the first morning, and from yeah. then it was, a, it was an uphill battle. So yeah, the writing was on the wall pretty early on. So there wasn't the same sense of excitement as what there was maybe say four years before. Um, yeah. In fact, so much so I think I went to bed about eleven o'clock because there wasn't really that much happening. It was all very civilized and chatting, and it wasn't wasn't a party compared to what it was four years earlier um, but I think probably Dom will say that 2018 was a bit of a, a party yeah we had <laughs> we had a decent gathering to be fair um, we started at the golf course after we won um, everyone was having a drink and then um, they did the closing ceremony on the 18th green and John Ram wanted to stick a bottle of champagne under French law the players weren't allowed to take alcohol to the 18th green. So we decided, Ken Conboy and Billy got a lot of coffee cups and we did, we took Heineken with us in the coffee cups. So we went down and it was a bit of this and a bit of that and then we came back up and then back in the team room, quick drink, couple of drinks, back down. We had to be at 8 o'clock in the team room. Everybody. Um, and he was just... We had a DJ in there uh, from Radio 1 um, there was, it was, I think it was about four o'clock, three thirty, four o'clock left. And we went down, we were first to leave in a car at eight o'clock. And I went down to the team room because our caddy room was shut. So I went down to the team room, no breakfast. There was just champagne on the bar. I thought, why, why not? So I took two glasses, <laughs> a glass of champagne in the team room. I took two glasses, up for me, one for me, one for the wife. We were already packed up and uh, off we went. With uh hangover for about six days, I think it was. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I, I, did, I, did I, you get the train back? 
No, we, we flew back. We flew back. Ah, a right. of mine, uh, Kevin Peterson phoned me, he said he come and done a link. I said, no. He said, well, don't die this week, will you? Don't drink yourself to death, whatever you do. I said, no, no. It's, it's going to be a few days having a good fun. And it was, it was good fun after it. And just to sit there, and once I got home, and sit sit there and just think, yeah, wow, what a week. What a yeah. week. Absolutely. Uh, it, it is. It is. And what I look at is, and I talk about winning majors and things like that, what I look at is if you win the Open Championship, it must be pretty similar to winning the Ryder Cup. They're, yeah. they're two of the, they are the two, in my eyes, the two biggest tournaments in the world. Yeah. Ryder Cup and the Open Championship are the, the, the best events there are to win. Yeah. Um, the Masters, the US Open, the USPGA, if you win one of them, happy days, you make a few quid. But if someone said to you, someone said to me, and I'm sure Davey would agree, um, you're going to win the Open Championship and or you're going to win the Ryder Cup, then they are the two most special events. Oh, yeah. In, in world golf. In world golf. Would you agree doubt. with that, Dave? Final, yeah. final note? 100%. Um, I, I, would, I would think that winning the Open Championship might just sneak it. Uh, in fact, it, it would sneak it because it's... It would, yeah. It's yeah, it would. It would. But yeah, it would, yeah. the Ryder, Ryder Cups are very close seconds. I remember Billy Foster saying that the Ryder Cup makes the US Masters look like a monster medal. And it's true. It's true. Um, you stand the first tee at the Masters and there might be 500 people there. You stand the first tee at the Ryder Cup and there's 10,000. It's that big a deal. Um, it's the closest thing to football there is, isn't it, really? Yeah. Well, Par- Paris, Paris was 100% the closest thing to football. Yeah. Seen. Yeah. Yeah. It's... And incredible. Well, boys, uh, thanks very much for the chat. I think it's, uh, yeah, I found it incredibly interesting, exciting. Even to, I just love talking about the Ryder Cup. Uh, so I found it. Hopefully, people listening will have done. Thanks. Sorry about the Chris. Sorry about the Chris. We'll have Don't to get this sponsored by Walkers or something. <laughs> it's hula hoops. Hula hoops. <laughs> Sorry about the Chris. What flavour? Cheese and onion. Uh, Sounded like uh, it. Sorry about uh, yeah, that. We'll get Hulu we'll Loops on the phone and uh, we'll get sponsored. But thanks, boys. <laughs> and uh, we'll do it again sometimes. Hopefully when you're back out, actually. Oh. Hopefully soon. <laughs> yeah. Nice one. Cheers, Hopefully boys. Hopefully back out soon. Thanks, 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 Take care. Thanks, thanks, Take care. Thanks, Take care. Talk to me, Joey. Oh, get up the yard. Oh. Great job. Thank you. All right.